ready? Okay. I, maybe you didn't hear me, but I said so much for a happy new year after listening to those verses. Usually we don't, we don't read verses like that from the Bible when we come to worship, do we? But that's what life is like most of the time, isn't it? Um, you know, we just had Christmas. I just love Christmas. I don't know, I used to not love it as much as I, I just found out I really love Christmas. Because, you know, you, you anticipate, you want to get things for people. You, it's so nice to be with your family and uh, eat food, all kinds of good food and spend time together and play games together, and then it's over. And then it's such a letdown because you wish it wouldn't end. But, uh, you know, when we get glimpses of heaven, that's what I call those times, a glimpse of what heaven will be like when we're with our families and we're playing games and rejoicing. When we get glimpses of heaven like that, you need to always cherish them because then it comes to be Monday again and we have to go out in the real world and toil and strive. And sometimes I wonder, why is the world the way it is? Why, why is there so much, seems like pain and agony and, and misery and sorrow and, and not too much good times in between? It seems like we're born crying and then we die crying. And there's a lot of that in between. Did God intend for us to be in pain? Was that his, his original intention? Sometimes I think these thoughts, you know, you may think I'm crazy, but I thought, is that, did God create pain? Was that something that, that's just part of who and what we are? <clears throat> it may not have been God's design in a perfect world, one without sin, but, but it's part of life for us. And I've been studying pain lately, and I, I come to realize that all pain is not bad. And I gave a children's story that some of you might have remembered a while back when I discussed pain with the kids. And pain is, is good for us sometimes because if we touch a hot fire, you ever do that? We've all done that. We've touched the burner or we touch the fire. What happened? We pull back. Why? Because it hurts. It's hurting us. It's burning. So pain is sometimes good for us. It tells us to not do what we're doing. Um, I think of leprosy in the Bible. A lot of times we thought, people thought the lepers were cursed. And they got sores over their body, right? And they went blind. And they were crippled. And they, every, we always thought that they were cursed by God. But really, they had a disease. They could not feel pain. And that's why they got the sores on their body. They probably sat too close to the fire and burned themselves. They went blind because they didn't have the reflex mechanism or the pain to blink. So they would go blind over time. There's a, there's a, actually in Louisiana, there is a, there used to be anyway, a facility that, that would take lepers in, or they don't call them lepers now, but they would take them in and teach them how to avoid injuries. Some people wore too tight of shoes, and over time it would pinch off the circulation in their feet, and they would lose their feet. Some, one man played a guitar. He loved playing guitar, but he wore his fingers away. 
You know, they have to teach you to recognize when you're hurting yourself. It came to the point where these doctors decided that they were going to try to help these people that didn't feel pain. They were going to hook all these electrodes and stuff to them. And, and it's very hard to mimic pain. The human body is, is so sophisticated. Um, but anyway, they did rig something up where a red light would go off if, if they were going over the pain threshold. And you know what happened? They disregarded the red light. It takes pain for us to pull back. It takes pain for us to go to the doctor. Right? Then I thought, well, why did God design? It seems like right away in the Garden of Eden, we, we get pain right off the bat, don't we? Sometimes we say that God cursed us when he... When he barred us from the Garden of Eden. And he told Eve, with pain you will give childbirth. Right off the bat, with pain you will give childbirth. But you know what? I never, I never gave childbirth, but I understand it's pretty painful, right? Very painful. But also something that brings tremendous joy after it's over. Did you ever notice that, ladies? That... I remember I was standing there when my wife had our daughter, and uh, I never expected it, but I couldn't believe it. My eyes swelled with tears when I saw that baby come out. There's just something about it. And then I also, then later in uh, the Genesis story, God told Adam that through painful toil, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Another curse? Or is it a blessing in disguise? You know, sometimes when I don't work, when I got a lot of idle time, I, I get bored, and not only bored, but nothing, nothing satisfies me. Did you ever feel that? But when I work, it feels like I get a sense of accomplishment. It feels good to stop work. You really enjoy your free time <laughs> when you have to work. You're sometimes so grateful just to go home and sit down, right? So anyway, I'm trying to say that bad times, hard times, pain, sometimes make good times more pleasurable. You know, we strive for more and more things, don't we? Better things. And it does bring us pleasure for a time anyway. Then we strive for more and more things, right? To sustain or to receive greater pleasure. We're like an alcoholic or a drug addict. We try to reach that same initial high, but that high is elusive. What if we had everything that we wanted? Just think about it. What if you could have everything you wanted? All the money in the world, you know, no need for money, you didn't have to work, you had all the gadgets, you had the best home, or maybe multiple homes, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, one on the Cayman Islands. No need to work. Some people are like that. They have it all. But are they happy? You know, we think they are, but, but they are not. They have reached the peak, and they find out that it doesn't fulfill their happiness. Actually, they are the most miserable because they have everything in their drive of life and they still find it lacking. They lack true happiness. They lack true fulfillment. Solomon discovered this. 
if you read Ecclesiastes. You know, we are chasing an illusion when we think things will give us happiness. You know, I have not come to the stage of my life where I have had everything I wanted, but I have had times in my life where things were good, where I had plenty, and I, and I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy. Something was missing. So my point is, bad times pain makes things I have more pleasurable. You know, I remember 2008 when all the bad economic times hit. I needed to tighten my belt. I needed to eliminate some of the pleasures of my life to save money. But you know what? It made me more grateful and appreciative of, of what I had and of things often that I overlooked and had taken for granted. And I was overlooking things that truly were more important to me and more fulfilling. And I was reminded of other times. I remember when we first had our child. It always seems when you have kids, you're broke. Isn't it? And then later in life, you accumulate some wealth and they're growing up. You know Why is that? I remember when when I was a young parent, I was just happy to to buy enough groceries for the family. And and, and life was good. We were happy. I remember when I was a kid, I, I grew up in a house. We did not have running water. We had to go down and pump it downstairs. And me and my brothers would always fight about that. Oh, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. I did it last time. We didn't have a bathroom. We didn't have central heat. We had a wood stove. And, I, and, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think much of it. That's life. But when you get older, you see what other people have. And I go over to my friend's house, and I thought, man, he's got a maid. He's got a bathtub. He's got a toilet. He's got heat. He doesn't have to stand around a fire and try to stay warm. I told God, God, all I want in life is a bathtub and heat. You know, I got bathtub and I got heat now. So every time I think I got it so rough, I think back to that. What more do I want? So there's more to life than just things, material things. There's a spiritual side or aspect to our lives. We were created in the image of God. And now in a sinful fallen world, we lack that perfect state of spirituality or wholeness. We try to fill it with pleasure or material things, and the more we do and the more we attain, the more we find out it's not enough. It doesn't meet all our needs. It doesn't fulfill us. It comes up lacking. This world is broke. If everything was perfect, think about it. If everything was perfect, We would have no need for hope. We would have no need for faith in something better. We would have no need for salvation. We would have no need for a Savior. In our fallen world, God can take the things that Satan throws at us to separate us from God and to destroy us into something good that has the opposite effect and draws us to seek something better. Back to something that really matters something that leads to happiness, and that is back to God. You know, I've always heard it is better to give than to receive, right? Why? 
You know, the Bible says the more you give, the more you will receive. Pressed down, shaken, running over. I used to think that was money. The more money I get, the more money I'll give back. But I found out, no, that's not it. That's not all of it. Maybe it will be partially money, but it, it's more to, more to it than that. It actually leads to something better. It gives us happiness, fulfillment. Maybe it also it is countering the sinful nature like greed and selfishness. It puts material things in its proper perspective. Money can't buy a love, right? Money can't buy a happiness. Money can't buy you spiritual fulfillment. Money can't buy you what we were created to be in God's image and which ultimately leads to true happiness and fulfillment. What leads to true happiness and fulfillment? Having God's character. Love. Everything Satan throws at us, like I said earlier, is trying to separate us from God. Whether it be riches and have all that life has to offer, or pain and suffering, to the point that you reject the notion that there even is a God, because if there was, he wouldn't allow terrible things of this world to occur. But yet God can take the riches and fulfillment that that leads to, and he can take the hardships, pains, and trials that also batter us into a way of actually leading us to the most important and best thing for us that will ultimately lead us to fulfillment and happiness, and that is God. Both of these riches and pain lead us back to God. Life ends in death. We tend not to think about it during our journey. We tend to put off the notion, but sooner or later, that's it. Some people have the opportunity to come face to face with this ultimate conclusion of life and have time to deal with it. I believe them to be truly blessed. You know, we may not think so. Some of us would rather go quick, without any foresight. Let it be over. Less pain and agony, right? But those who are warned ahead of time have time to deal with what is really important. There are a lot of emotions. Imagine it. There's shock, sorrow, helplessness, fear, anger, but as this cycle progresses, they finally come to the conclusion of what do they have? What's really important? And they come to the conclusion that God is everything and God is enough. Now that's a deep concept. And to those of you who have not experienced it, it's hard for others to, to explain. To come to the real realization that God is everything to me and God is enough for me in any situation in life I face. How do we get to this point of understanding in our lives? By all the ups and downs, twists and turns of life. By the times of life that we would rather not face and we yearn and strive and pray for not to happen to us. By the things that Satan hurls at us to break us. And God allows and uses to transform us. Have you ever come to the point in your life where nothing means nothing to you? 
that makes sense? When I wrote that, I thought maybe I should say where nothing means anything to you. But no, it's deeper than that. It means when nothing means nothing. I mean rock bottom. I've come to that point in my life, and I have to tell you, it is hell. Literally hell. Where everything falls apart in your life. Where one calamity after another hit you, and when, when you don't think it could possibly get any worse, another calamity falls on top of you. One after another, after another, after another, after another. Over a long, prolonged period of time. And when the stress on you becomes so great that it gets to the point, to the point where you break. And I mean literally break. Where there is no hope whatsoever and you give up. Bam. Game over. This happened to me 2004, 2005, 2006. You have been pushed beyond the breaking point and you have literally broke. And now you are in self-destruction mode, trying to numb the pain with any substance available. And believe you me, in our society, those destructive things are legal and readily available. And as you sink lower and lower, and as you are hit again and again, to the point, it comes to the point that you don't care about yourself, you don't care about anything, and you don't care about anybody. You just want it to be over. You just want it to end. And even your life to end. And as I look back, I never really blame God. I blame myself and the choices I made with my life. And I blame myself for failing and for even giving up. But I was saved by a friend that as I look back, I have realized is a very, very, very good friend. I was saved by a wife, a wife that typified the unconditional love of Jesus Christ more than anybody I've ever met. And I'm so lucky to have her. And by, ultimately, God. A friend that would drive 20 to 30 miles out of his way every day to visit me and try to keep me on task, to keep me looking up to keep me fighting. And you know what? He never said a word of what I was doing, even though it was really clear to him, and that's why he was there. A wife that put up with me during this time, a wife that hauled me in to doctor to doctor trying to get me help, a wife that would literally drag me into the car when things got bad and hauled me to the hospital. And after the third time of waking up in a hospital bed, shaking like a leaf, my wife came in to visit me and I told her to walk away. I said, you can have the house, just walk away. You don't need this. 
And you know what she did? She sat down on the bed and took my hand and she started telling me all these beautiful things about what such a nice person I was, how kind I was, how generous I was. And she says, I know what you were and I know what you will be again. We will beat this. I'm not leaving. And I finally realized I needed help. And that's a tough thing for a person to realize, especially a person that was a drug addict and was, was able to beat it on his own. This one, I couldn't beat. So they helped me find a clinic. My friend found me the best clinic. But clinics are hard to get into and they cost a lot of money. Seems like there's a lot of people that need help. I went in. It was a 28-day program. I left after day 21, much to the dismay of my wife and my counselors who told me I was going to fail. But at least I had a fighting chance. But the trials continued. The calamities continued. The demon persisted, and you wrestle, you wrestle with God, trying to make sense of it all, pleading for God to release you from the demon that's inside of you, having nowhere to turn, no one to talk to, no one that understands no one that you can relate to. No one. And then, and then, in an instant, in a flash, God speaks to you. And you know it, it's God. It wasn't verbal, but I'm telling you, when God speaks to you, you know it's God. And he told me, I know. You can talk to me. I know. And that reminded me of this verse, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been, te been tempted in every way, yet without sin. God told me, Doug, I know. You can talk to me. And I said, great, finally, I got somebody I can talk to. You know the agony I'm going through. You understand. I can talk to you. But the trial continues minute by minute, day by day. Months, months go by. You have been sober. You have been fighting the fight. But the demon is still within you, unrelenting. It's worse in your dreams where you go back to what you were and you wake up with a knowledge it will never release you and that eventually you are going to fail again. You have allowed it to take over you have allowed it to take you over for too long. And there will never be a release. And ultimately, you will fail again. So it's no use fighting anymore. And you don't want to hurt those around you anymore. And then there are other factors dictating your helplessness and conclusion to end it all. You have, you have debt that you cannot overcome. And no way in sight to get out of it or to support your family again. 
And then this is a true scary part. You rationally decide to end it. To end your life. Because you are worth more dead than alive. Your family will be financially taken care of. Bills will be paid. It is better for all that you ceased to exist. And you know what? I felt relief after I made that decision. Because I finally had a way out. I finally had a way for the pain to stop. But Christmas was coming up about a month away, and I decided I'll wait till after Christmas. I like Christmas. And I wanted to give my family one more Christmas, buy them a lot of things, make them happy. But, you know, miraculously, things started to improve after that. Financially, a significant order came in, and I was able to pay a lot of the people I owed money to. I was, I was very intimate with God, more intimate than ever before, and I continued to wrestle and wrestle with God, with the demon, begging for release. For months, this deep struggle persisted, and, our, and my relationship with God is all that I had and what kept me going. It kept me striving. One morning... I told God it's no use. I'm a failure. I'll never be able to overcome the urge. You tell God you're sorry, but it's no use. You don't feel worthy even to come to God anymore. And you, and you don't even feel worthy to seek his fellowship or help anymore because you're not worth it. And then God speaks to you again. And this time he said, boldly, come to the throne of grace. And this is the verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He told me, this is when you need to come to me. When you don't feel like you're worthy anymore. When you give up. Boldly, come to me. I'm here. And I thought, wow, that's what I needed. Again, you're so thankful to God for his acceptance of you and his understanding, for his love for you, no matter what you are. Later on, during my special times with God, I learned the significance of learning my helplessness. Because when you are at that point, when you realize you're helpless and can't do it on your own, then you are strong. Through who? Through God. You know, the Apostle Paul must have had a, had a very deep struggle in life because this is what God said to him. Paul says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes on to say, therefore I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
So you press on, more grateful to God than ever before, knowing God is now fighting your battle. More time passes. You start to re-examine your faith and what you believe and why. You come to the determination that you really want to know what to believe from God and Him only. You don't want to be told by others anymore what to believe. You want to know from God. Everything spiritual is re-examined. Everything is open to question. You do not desire a role in church, but you long and want to be there on Sabbath. You love the atmosphere, the fellowship with old friends, especially the children. Nothing but mercy fills your soul. You want to repair the damage you've done in all aspects of your life. You know talk is cheap. Only by your actions can you hope to repair the damage you've done to your family and especially to your daughter. Trust in someone is easily destroyed, but hard, so hard, to restore. And will take much time. But you are determined and you have the time. As you continue your relationship with God, and as you have asked for understanding from Him and Him only, some things occurred in my life that I didn't realize at the time as Him answering my prayer. First of all, the pastor called me up and invited me to a Bible study. And I said, oh, a Bible study, how nice. What kind of Bible study? A beginner's class. I was offended. I says, oh, I'm thinking to myself, so I got to start over. Is that it? But I didn't say nothing. I went to the class. I said, I'll, I'll go to the class. I'll sit there. But you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was a class that's what, uh, for God so loved the world, it was called. And it was a very deep class explaining our sinful nature, how we got into this situation. It, it really focused on our relationship with God for 12 lessons. And you know what? I was in this church 17 years and I never felt saved. I never felt good enough. I always felt I wasn't good enough. And after I did those studies, I finally realized I was saved. You don't know how good that makes you feel. You know, I was always striving to be something that I couldn't be, no matter how hard I tried. But where I found out where I lack, God makes it up. It's done, finished. And you know what God said? Now let's go live life, man. And I said, yeah, amen, let's go live life. You love the journey, the new day, the relationship with God. We started early every morning, talking, studying, struggling, wrestling, wrestling with it all. But the peace and understanding of a loving God is enough. It's enjoyable. Then I was invited to another Bible study. I don't know why I was invited, but it turned out to be the, the, most, the deepest, most wonderful fellowship and companionship I've ever experienced. And it was a Bible study like no other. 
It seems that others were on the same quest as I was. They wanted to know God. Not just the rote details anymore, but questioning, trying to understand God, getting to the heart of God. You are probing, asking, questioning, questioning, seeking true understanding and knowledge that God wants to impart to you. An atmosphere where no question is stupid or unaskable. An atmosphere of searching for the deep spiritual insights into God. And then the day comes when you are asked again, once again, to pick up the mantle and become an elder. A question that you hope never to hear again and that you have decided well beforehand that you would refuse. No. You cannot ever hold a position in God's church. You have failed the church. You have failed God. You do not want to ever detract from God or his church by what you have done. And most of all, you do not want anyone to stumble because of what you've done. So no, I cannot. Even though the demon is finally gone, you are worried. Worried you might fail again. No, I will not put my God or my church at that risk. But you're asked over and over, and you keep explaining, no, I can't, and you explain. And then even though the choice, your decision against everything you determine not to do, you finally relent and accept. You are still unsure if if it is the right choice because everything you do is for the hope of God's glory and the benefit of his people. And so here I am. That was the short, condensed, G-rated, version of what happened to me. I know some of you have asked, Doug, where were you? Where you been? There, there it is. What do you think of me now? It's okay, whatever you think of me. I'm okay with it. Not because I don't care what you think or that it's not important to me what you think but because I've come to understand that what God thinks of me is more important. And God, I'm okay with God. And this position is nothing I desire, or any position for that matter. I can do God's will and work with no position, which I try to explain to those who chose me. I just, want to, I just don't want to detract from God or his church or especially to have anyone stumble because what, what I have done. So then I, when I was writing this, I thought, Doug, why do you do it? Why, why do you do it? I think my wife was worried when I started to get back involved with the church because of the pressures of being a, a leader and the responsibilities and I thought, well, Doug, why do you do it? And the only th- and that came to my mind, God says to pick up your cross 
and follow me. And as I thought about that, and through all I have been through, I've realized that it was not I that carried the cross. Jesus carried the cross for me, and he continues to carry the cross for me. I just try to follow along. I love God so much. So pain, a curse, hell, but which God can use to transform into a blessing. You know, it's, ter- it's terrible to go through these, these, these things in life. But as I look back, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I went through it. I wouldn't trade it for all the blessings under the sun. Because in the end, it helped me to realize and understand the greatest blessing of all. That to understand that God is everything to me and God is enough. I love him so much. And now I believe I truly know him. And I know he knows me. He always did. He is my friend, my confidant, my counselor my father, and I long to be like him. And I pray I never forget or lose sight of that the rest of my days. Now, some of you knew my dirt, and I wanted to come clean and tell you all right away, but I was warned not to. Even when I wrote this sermon, I had no intention of bringing up myself. I was trying to lead you Remember we did that that, uh, Bible study the pastor had, the 40-day devotional? I I was trying to get through to you where God's trying to bring you in your life. And the only way I could do that is try to explain to you what happened to me. I, tried, I thought, Doug, what happened to you? How did you get to this point? And I had to tell you the story. Because I think this is what God's trying to get to you, get through to you, where nothing means nothing. It doesn't matter. It's between you and God. And that's all you need. And I, am, I was impressed that now was the time to tell you. I told a couple of my close friends my intention, and they advised me again not to do it. (laughs) They're worried about me, worried somebody's going to throw me under the bus, but I'm not worried. I believe that as a church, we have to come to grips with instances like this as a church family. When people are hurting, they need our help. They need someone to come and help them back up. What they don't need is another kick when they're down. That, would, that could be the final straw to put them over the edge. That's what Satan wants. And by so doing, you would be demonstrating his character and not God's. I recall when the disciples wanted to call hellfire down from heaven on people. Remember that? What did Jesus say? You do not know what spirit you are of. You know, I didn't advertise my problem with anyone in the church because I knew better. Because I knew some of you holy rollers would just not understand. You just don't get it. In your zeal for the law, 
you forget what the law actually is about. And that is love. To reflect the character of God. People that are down do not need condemnation. They need help. And that is the main reason I am here today. To protect people. To help people. In any way that I can. Within their journey in life. To help them realize that God is everything and God is enough. So I want to tell you now, if any of you ever... I, I heard testimonies a few weeks ago and I was, I, was, I was happy and I was sad. I was happy that you people have had a relationship with God and, and I can see it's a deep relationship. But I was sad that people didn't come forward and ask for help. I hope this next year we can start building an atmosphere in this church where there won't be the perception how do I put it? That you can be honest. We're all sinners. We all have our problems. I hope we, we make a perception in this church that people can be open and honest with us and we can help them. But I want you to know that even if you still don't feel comfortable about saying anything to anybody, God understands. And he's there for you. And if anybody ever wants to talk to somebody, you can talk to me. I won't say anything to anybody. I may not have the answers, but I'll listen and I can, I can relate. <laughs> you know, as I thought about this, you look in the Old Testament, you see plenty of stories like this, don't you? You see, first of all, I think of Jacob. Remember? Who was Jacob? He was a thief. He stole Esau's birthright. He went to a different country. He stole his father-in-law's sheep. He was heading back home. And all of a sudden, he realized he was in trouble. And he wrestled with God. He wrestled with God to, to protect him, to save him. But what did God do in the end? Called him Israel. How about Moses? Killed an Egyptian. Ran off into the desert. Spent 40 years with God. Wrestling. God asked him to go back and lead his people. I think of King David. The Bible says that God's, God said that he was a man of God's own heart. Was that before the young lady incident or after? I remember the Apostle Paul killing people in the name of God until the Lord knocked him off his horse. And he spent I understand a few years with God before he picked up the mantle and became a disciple. And how about Peter? Sashi, we talked about that this morning. Peter denied him three times. You know, it's through those times. I don't know, God had to hit me over the head with a two-by-four. I hope it ain't you guys that need the same thing, but uh, that's my story.
And I just want to say, I just, I just hope this next year, no matter what it is, just realize God's with you. He loves you. He doesn't condemn you. God is everything, and God is enough. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you through this upcoming year and be gracious unto you and your families. I pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.